This podcast is part of the Democracy Group. Welcome to Politics is Everything, a podcast of the Center for Politics at the University of Virginia. I'm Kara Ongwayli. I am Kyle Kondik. Uh, Kyle, I think the title of this episode might be something like A Pumpkin Year for Democrats. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, it it does seem like things are kind of getting back to where they were six months ago, where it looked like it was going to be a tough year for Democrats. I do think there's still a fair amount of uncertainty, but at least the buzz in the House has been that things are kind of moving back toward the Republicans again, which is maybe how it was always going to be. But, um, you know, between the the Dobbs decision and some of the special elections and stuff in the summer, um, it looked like Democrats are bouncing back a little bit. But, you know, the late sometimes the late signals uh, are interesting in that, you know, there are some Democrats in some pretty safe seats that seem like kind of unsettled, which means I think just the, the broader environment is just not great for Democrats right now. So you were the first to rate 218 House seats as at least leans Republican. That's, of course, the magic number for winning a majority in the House of Representatives. What led you to change ratings in some of the key races to now favor Republicans, especially California 27, New Mexico 2, New York 22, and Oregon 5? Uh, And then also you moved Joe Morrell from safe Democrat to likely Democratic. Yeah. So, um, you know, we've had the Republicans pretty strongly favored just in our sort of discussion of the House for the whole election year. Um, But there is something, I guess, sort of symbolic or notable about actually formalizing that through the ratings that we do, because, you know, we do still have fair, you know, like 20 or so toss up races. And we have had um, at various points, we've gotten the Republicans very close to 218. They were at 217 at one point in our ratings. Um, We sort of pulled back a few races over the course of the summer and the early fall. Um, the Republicans have been close to, to 218, but we didn't actually formally put them there until earlier this week. Um, the actual races we moved, um, you know, it's based on, I mean, the, the, um, there's a lot of buzz that in blue states um, that the Democrats are struggling a little bit in part because maybe voters aren't motivated or they don't, maybe they're not responding to um, some of the Democrats messaging on abortion because maybe they feel like abortion rights are settled in their states, which Maybe they are, maybe they aren't. I guess it would depend on future federal action, maybe. Um, but that's you know different different discussion. Um, and so there, for instance, like Oregon Five is a new open seat where you had a progressive uh, Democrat beat a more kind of moderate um, incumbent. Um, you know, Democrats aren't really spending there anymore. Um, the general feeling among the two parties is that the Dem- Republicans are favored there. Um, New York Twenty Two, um, that race is probably more competitive. But I sort of moved it in part to signal that um, Democrats probably aren't going to sweep the competitive races in New York. Um, California 27 is a Biden one seat held by Republican Mike Garcia. Um, That is one where I think it's still probably going to be pretty close, but um, just the feeling amongst talking to people about it and was that, uh, you know, that the Democrats were kind of pessimistic about that one. So, um, you know, a lot of these calls are sort of tenuous, but um, the overall message we wanted to send was that, you know, I think more of these races are moving toward the Republicans than they're moving toward the Democrats. You're also predicting that Republicans are going to do better than just a split in the toss up, the races that you've rated as toss up so far. Um, and you updated the forecast to a GOP gain in the high teens or low 20s. Why do you think Republicans are going to do better than just split the toss ups? 
Um, it's pretty common for in, in a if it in fact is a you know good night for Republicans that a lot of the close races ended up breaking one way or the, you know basically toward toward the side who's who's you know who's overall winning. Um, that's definitely what happened in you know in in 2018. I'd say 2014. You know 2010 was before my time in terms of actually you know being in this job and, and picking the House races, but. Um, that's, you know, that, that happened in that year too. Um, you know, there are going to be some vulnerable Democrats who hold on, although there probably are also going to be at least a few Democrats in districts we're not really expecting who have close calls or maybe even lose. Um, you know, that's the rationale between, by, you know, listing some districts that Biden won by, you know, 20 points or so, like you mentioned, New York 25, um, in Virginia, Virginia 10, Northern Virginia, Jennifer Wexton, you know, those are races that like you wouldn't pick to flip, but are maybe a little close for comfort for Democrats. And that's telling about the, the overall environment too. So, um, anyway, that's sort of the thinking right now. There is time, you know, we're still, um, I don't know, 10 days or so from the election. And so, um, from a, from just an information gathering standpoint, you kind of got to feel like you sort of got to, got to, you know, run through the <laughs> run or, or play to the whistle in that you, things, you know, new, new developments do happen late. There's new information. Um, but, uh, but at, at this moment, um, it, it does seem like things are going pretty well for Republicans in the house overall. Uh, Dan Guild had a piece on crystal ball last week that looked at the history of, um, of how incumbents performed against a sitting president's job approval. And he writes about how historically the empower incumbents already tend to outperform, um, and that this trend is continuing in 2022. Um, and the average is about consistent with recent history. Democratic Senate incumbents on average are running about 6.4 percentage points ahead of Biden's current approval ahead of Biden's current approval rating. Um, this week, the crystal ball is saying that the Senate remains a toss up. Um, can you talk about the state of the Senate races? Yeah. Um, uh, so Dan's piece is really interesting. And it, it does sort of illustrate a, just a general problem for Democrats this year in that Biden's approval rating in the competitive states and districts is you know, it's, it's like the low forties. And so, you know, if you think about it in a, you know, in a, it, it, if, if it's a race where, um, you know, you don't have a significant third party vote, you know, in order to win, you got to get, you know, 48, 49, of course, in a state like Georgia, you got to get over, you know, you got 50% plus one because they're, otherwise you, know, you go to a runoff. Um, and so democratic Senate candidates are holding their own. It's just that, Biden's approval rating is so low that they may not be able to actually get over the finish line, which is what I think Democrats should be worried about. And so you look at some of these races like Arizona and Pennsylvania, where Democrats have generally consistently been, you know, leading in the polls, although they've been getting getting tighter. And, you know, is it is it just too hard for them to, to you know, to get over the finish line? Um, in which case you could imagine Republicans not just winning the Senate, but, you know, getting more than the 51 seats that they need, you know, maybe 52 or 53. Um, I'm not I don't think that's going to happen at this point. But again, you know, there's there's still uh, there's still several days to the election. And, and maybe we'll see some late trends that would indicate that, you know, Republicans have, you know, finally gotten out of their deficits in places like Pennsylvania and Arizona. And, you know, the biggest reason for that would not necessarily be the, the strengths and weaknesses of the respective candidates, but I think just the 
the the gravity that you often see in that works against the president's party in the in the midterm sort of environment. Well, I want to ask a follow up on that because more about specifically about the candidate about candidate quality. Um, more news emerged this week, of course, that Herschel Walker allegedly drove a woman to a clinic to get an abortion, um, and you know there so there are signs of. In, in Dan Guild's analysis um, and and more broadly, that candidate quality is is hampering the GOP and other Senate races as well. Um, and then Miles Coleman also wrote for the Crystal Ball this week that depending on the outcome in Pennsylvania, um, you know the Democrats may have gone with a better better candidate there. Um, you know, is there any there there really on the candidate quality issue if? if it's really more about the environment and partisanship. Um, I do think it matters, particularly on the, you know, on the, on the margins and these races end up getting decided on the margins. I and mean, I do think that if you had a different slate of Republican candidates, you would probably be probably more confident Republicans flipping the, the Senate at this point. Um, and, you know, it's also fair to say that, that, you know, the Democrats have had their challenges in that regard too. I mean, the big political story of the week, really, at least in terms of the Senate races, has been, um, you know, John Fetterman, Democrat in Pennsylvania, and the debate he had against, uh, you know, Mehmet Oz, the TV doctor, um, on Tuesday evening, and the, um, you know, the the, uh, uh, you know, Fetterman, of course, had a stroke um, right around the time of the primary, and it does seem to have affected his performance, um, just, just as a candidate. And so there may be questions about, about his, his ability to serve. Um, but also, you know, Fetterman was also a fairly left-wing candidate, um, at least on certain things. Um, you know, and he's gotten himself into trouble on, um, you know, sort of changing his position on fracking and other things. Um, and so I think that some of the focus on Oz being a weak candidate, which I think he basically is, um, has maybe covered up for some of the problems that Fetterman has and those matter as well. Um, and plus if you're, if you've got two candidates who've got problems, you'd probably rather be the candidate on the, the right side of the, of the, of the environment, um, which, which Oz might be. So on the other hand though, you know, I've never seen a poll with Oz leading. So, you know, that, that's what makes it tricky as well. Yeah, the another interesting take I saw on Fetterman Oz race um, is that with Mastriano being so far to the right and so extreme, he may actually be making Oz look good, <laughs> or or at least that Oz doesn't seem so bad, and that might be kind of boosting his prospects a bit. It's interesting. You have seen Republicans using Doug Mastriano as a foil, basically, or uh, you know, or, or rather, or rather, they've been using. Um, Josh Shapiro, the Democrat, as sort of the example of like a reasonable Democrat, you know, and contrasting Fetterman to him. Um, and it shows that, you know, even Republicans are not confident in this, the governor's race, but they're hoping they can generate some ticket splitting, which still happens, by the way. I mean, ticket splitting has been on a decline, but there still can be significant differences in these races um, and hoping that that some voters will go, you know, Shapiro Oz for the, the two statewides. So, Kyle, where where do you think upsets are likely to occur and why? Um, again, I'd look at some of these kind of darker blue um, house seats, um, maybe in places like New York and Oregon, um, California, potentially, where, um, you know, Democratic base might be lackadaisical for one reason or the other. Uh, you know, the thing about sort of deep sleeper upsets is that handicappers won't pick them to happen, including myself, because you know, you just sort of look at the odds and you think, oh, you're better off just going with the partisanship of a certain place. Um, you know, we, we don't, uh, um, we don't get point spreads in this, like, you know, 
football handicappers do or whatever. So you can't, you know, you, you, you're, you're incentivized to pick the, the person you think is the clear favorite, but the clear favorite sometimes loses. Um, so that's, you know, that's where I would look in, in the house, you know, on the, on the Senate side, um, you know, I think, I think that Michael Bennett in Colorado is probably still going to be fine, but that would be maybe one you would, you would think cause could, could, uh, could come online late if it really ends up being bad for, for Democrats. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's, you could, you could just imagine some of the, some of the house races, um, you know, a handful maybe flipping that you wouldn't expect. Can you talk about how redistricting might play a role, especially in the competitive races that could lead to upsets? You know, the, I think that w- one of the things that Democrats did in their redistricting places that they controlled, specifically like Nevada and Oregon, was that they really tried to kind of spread out the Democratic vote in such a way that they, um, you know, would be able to kind of maximize the number of seats they win in both those states. So in Nevada, it was they already had three of the four seats, but they made one of the districts that was heavily Democratic less democratic as a way to shore up the other two seats. And these are all seats around in and around the Las Vegas area, which is the, of course the, you know, dominant population center in, in Nevada, which in some ways is like kind of a city state um, given how much of the population of the vote is in Clark County where Las Vegas is. Uh, Democrats did the same thing in Oregon. They, um, they tried to, you know, kind of sp- split up pieces of the Portland area um, and kind of stretch them out and, and change the districts and such that they want to win five of the six seats out there. And, you know, those maps are going to get stress tests, tre- stress tested um, by this political environment. And it may be that the Democrats end up, you know, losing an extra seat or two out, you know, out in that part of the country um, because of redistricting. Now, I guess the flip side would be, hey, you know, maybe maybe Democrats will just say, well, you know, maybe we did a little worse than expected in 22. But that gives us, you know, the way the maps are drawn, gives us a better chance to win in 24, which is not an unreasonable position to take. But, um, you know, you could you could look at some of those redistricting decisions and say that maybe that they were um, that they ended up being mistakes. So one last question. What are you going to be watching in the final week before Election Day? Uh, Late movement in the polls, also late movement of money. Um, if you start to see um, Democrats or Republicans spending money in districts and states that they weren't spending in before, that can sort of tell us about you know where they see the trends and where they see possible upsets. You know, often what you'll see late late is that um, you know if if the, the party that's sort of on the wrong side of the environment, which is I think is the Democrats at this point, you know they start um, spending money in places that you wouldn't expect and that tells you that maybe they're worried about the Republicans cutting even deeper into their roster of house seats than, than maybe you would have been uh, a, a week or two ago. So um, those are, you know, those, those are generally the things that I'll be, I'll be watching. And uh, you know, the other thing is, you know, crystal ball, we will uh, we're going to call the races. Um, and so we're uh, just sort of looking for any signs, particularly in some of these toss up races that are very, very close. Do you have any sense of how much early voting might be sending signals in any of the competitive races? You know, I, I sort of, um, uh, a, a lot of it can be sort of deceptive. You know, I think there are a few observations that have come out so far. Um, you know, Florida looked like it was going to be Republican leaning in this election anyway. And I think the early vote there looks like it's been pretty good for Republicans. Um, Nevada is a state where the sort of early vote has been predictive in the past. Early signs there are not not particularly indicative one way or the other. Um, you know, we mentioned in our crystal ball update on Thursday about in Georgia, you know, watch the percentage of the, the, the um, black share of the vote 
Georgia is a racially polarized state, um, uh, you know, and black voters are very heavily democratic. And so, um, you know, the number to watch might be like 30%, like, you know, how, um, how much above or how much below, uh, uh, 30% is the, is the black share of the vote and what impact might that, might that have? Um, you know, obviously the bigger, the bigger it is, the better it is for Democrats, but, you know, we also have, you know, polarization by voting method in that Democrats seem much likely to vote by mail. Um, Republicans do vote early in person, although it might be that, you know, election day itself is pretty Republican leaning in most places. So you could kind of talk yourself into, um, Democrats looking good by the early vote, but maybe you're not getting the whole picture. And so I would generally say, just be cautious about it, even if you can pick, pick out little things here and there. Well, Kyle, thank you so much for taking the time this week. Thank you. Hi, podcast listeners. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Politics is Everything. Editing and production was done by me. Our theme song is Let's Boogie by Chris Fays. Learn more about the Center for Politics and its work to strengthen democracy on our website at centerforpolitics.org. Be sure to also follow us on Twitter at center number four politics. You can also send us a recording of your questions or ideas for strengthening democracy to goodpolitics at virginia.edu. Until next time.